Well, good morning, New Life. Man, I always, I love it when we get to 10, 15. Everybody's awake, so they respond. So awesome to see you guys here today. Uh, my name is Ryan Farr. I'm the sports director here at the church. I wanted to make a real quick plug. Uh, if you were not at the one service that we had at MVNU last week, I would encourage you to either talk to those who were there. Uh, I believe we have it uh, as a live stream as well. But it was such an, an inspirational time. As many of you know, God is calling us into this really kind of cool vision uh, that we have as a church um, for, for our place in the community. That involves a little bit of what we've talked about over the last few weeks of, of even building on to, to the church and, and, and what that all looks like. And, and I'll tell you, as you look at some of those plans, as you hear some of the vision that God has just given our staff, our leaders, our, our folks here in the church... It can seem like a God-sized vision. It absolutely is. And it can be intimidating. Um, but I'll tell you, if you were at that service, it was a realization that New Life Church itself uh, is a part of a daring faith. Um, how many of you guys, I'll just kind of ask this, how many of you, you guys were here or part of the church when we moved into this building here on Harcourt? We have some of those folks here. Awesome. Awesome, and it was cool to watch on that video just how God utilized so many different folks that were here uh, as part of this congregation of New Life in moving into this building and making this thing happen. And so in a lot of ways, it was very motivational, I know, for me. Uh, gosh, I came out of there wanting to run through a wall <laughs> through this, uh, for this next phase that we're going to be going through as a church. So again, if you weren't there, definitely check it out. There's a lot of cool stuff just to glean from that service. But today, we're going to continue our, our series on daring faith. And we're going to do so with this particular session entitled, Giving God Our Best. So, I, I love that phrase of, you know, just give it your best. Especially in the context of what I enjoy doing, which is youth sports. Alright, give it your best. If you've coached or overseen a team, maybe helped with a team. You know, we said it a lot. We, we kind of finish our, our big rallying cry, halftime speech, whatever, with a go give it your best. And it actually made me think of a very particular story uh, from 12 years ago. It was my first time in full-time ministry overseeing an upward basketball league. And I will never forget uh, be, being uh, over these teams. It was a third grade team. And uh, there was this one particular player on this team named Joey. And I love Joey, man. He came, you know, his parents had got him the basketball-themed backpack. He had this big old ball that he brought to practice. It was like as big as him. And he always came early. He was excited to get started. And he always came up after and said, Coach, you know, what can I do to get better? And, you know, if I was honest with my answer, a whole heck of a lot. Because Joey was not very good uh, at basketball. As much as he was motivated and had a passion, uh, he had... Uh, just a lot of things to work on skill-wise. But we loved having him on the team and just what he brought uh, to our team that way. But I remember one particular game that season. And it was a tightly contested game between our team and our team. And it, it was about 10 seconds or so left in the game. And it was a tie game. And we called a timeout and we're talking about our inbounds play. All right. And we had this really good kid on our team named Brooks. Uh, Brooks was just like, he was a one-man army. It was like, hey, get the ball to Brooks and then get, you know, get out of the way. It was like the early Cavs with LeBron. Like, just everybody get the ball, get out of the way. Uh, and so our, our strategy coming out of that timeout was, hey, guys, we're going to inbound the ball to Brooks. 
So we, we break out, we're going out, and Joey's still standing there smiling up at me. And he goes, Coach, that's a great plan. What do you want me to do? Like if I was to be honest, I'd be like, well, I want you to get out of the way. But no, you can't say that. You know, it's a youth sports growing moment. So I say, you know what, Joey, you give it your best. And I mean with these glowing eyes, kind of wobble, he's, I will coach. He goes on in there. And so we're all set up, Guy, our, our, our one player, he's got the ball out of bounds, he's putting it over his head, he tosses it in, it's going towards Brooks, he's reaching out his hands, wouldn't you know it, but these two little hands reach out and just snag this ball from Brooks, and it was Joey. And I'm freaking out, and I'm like, oh gosh, we're going to lose this game, but you know what, Joey experiences the miracle on the court, and he's able to dribble through two or three defenders, and, you know, he hears the, the parents shouting and the coaches shouting. And he's just getting more motivation. And with just seconds left, he throws up the ugliest shot that you could ever see. And as the time expires, you see it kind of dribble around the rim and into the hoop to score the final point. But in his pursuit to give his best, Joe, Joey had missed that the players that he had just dribbled through all wore the same color jersey as him. They were his teammates trying to stop him from going that way. All the shouting and the yelling that he heard from the parents and, and the coaches weren't these jubilations of go get him, go win the game. They were, Joey, you're going the wrong way. And with that shot up to the, uh, to the basket, you know, Joey did indeed score the winning points that day. But it was for the other team. But you know what? I don't think Joey much cared. You know, he was excited that he went out, he did what his coach asked, and he gave his best. And it's so fun to be involved in youth sports, to just see that innocent, kind of young, you know, I just want to go out and give it my best shot. But as we know, as we grow into adults and we mature and life happens and, and situations occur, that definition of giving our best changes. And sometimes not for the better. Think about just how our world, our society, uh, just us in general can misconstrue and skew this concept of what it means to give our best. And I thought about three in particular, the concepts of competition, achievement, and perfectionism. You know, competition obviously is something that's really close to my heart. I'm a coach. Uh, I run our sports leagues. I love to compete. And I believe that there's a way to compete and honor God. But a lot of times competition ends up being, you know, I've got to be better than this person. I've got to sell more enter word there than this person. I've got to have a bigger house than this person. I've got to have a better car than this person. Uh, I, I've got to have more friends than this person. It becomes this competition of who's better or who's the best. And we compare ourselves with one another. Achievement is one that's really close to my heart because I'm, I'm a goal-oriented person. I don't think that's a bad thing. But I think when giving our best is only about the next reward I'm going to receive, the next title I'm going to earn, the next salary bump I'm going to get, the next, you know, again, insert whatever that might be, we see ourselves kind of deviate from God's plan for our life. And the last one, this is one I think we're going to have a hard time admitting, uh, but this idea of being a perfectionist. Don't have to raise your hands, but are there any perfectionists in this room? I would not consider myself to be someone with a lifestyle of perfectionism. But there are some very particular places in my life and areas that I am very perfectionistic. Would that be perfectionistic? Yeah, there we go. 
Um, but when it's about that, you know, giving our best isn't just about giving our best. No, it's like, hey, if my best isn't good enough, I've got to make it better. I have this high standard that I can never really fully achieve. And so what happens is when we buy into competition and achievement and perfectionism, we're all about, you know, how can I beat the guy or gal next to me? How can I beat others? How can I get the approval of others? How can I earn the approval of myself? But here'd be the question there. Where is God in that? Where is God if that is our concept of giving our best? And so today, we're going to ask the question of how do we give God our best. But as we can see from just those few examples, uh, we can't look to the world. We can't look to society. Can't even look to our, ourselves to find that definition. We've got to go to Scripture to find that. And so I want to invite you to turn with, to, with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. This is going to be the passage that we are in today. And we're going to start and kind of how we're going to do this is we're going to break it down into kind of three parts. We're going to look at this introduction. Uh, then we're going to look at three points that Paul makes, and then we're going to look at kind of a conclusion and a challenge. But I want to, before we get into that, share the mood and emotion, just kind of the, the context of this particular passage. You see, Paul is writing this letter from prison. Already not a great situation, but the reality is Paul knows that he is going to die. He is going to die there. You see this 2 Timothy 4, 7. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so there is a realization with Paul here that his words are now limited. Uh, this passage we are going to read this morning is not some, you know, to use a modern content, some flippant text to uh, a friend of, hey, here's some daily advice or, you know, how's the weather or what's going on. No. Paul is choosing his words, and as we see his illustrations, very carefully. Because this may be some of the last words that he passes on to this young leader in Timothy, um, who's going to have to fill a gap in leadership for him. And so, with that in mind, I want to read this introduction, because I think Paul starts out with a really good mindset shift, or maybe even just reminder for us today. But it says this, 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 2, You then, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. He says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Do we have a lot of movie people out here? You guys like to watch movies? Who likes to watch movies? All right, well, you folks over here are boring, but yeah, movies. Gotta, gotta love movie, pe movie people, all right? And one of my favorite tropes in movies is this idea of the passing of the baton. If you've heard me preach before, you know I love Star Wars. So, like, I love that Obi-Wan passing on to Luke Skywalker. I love Lord of the Rings. I was just watching that this week, that whole Gandalf passing on to Aragorn thing. And uh, one of my favorites, do we have any Kung Fu Panda people in here? Does anyone like Kung Fu Panda? What a great, my favorites, one of my favorite scenes that's got a really good soundtrack with it too is when Master Ugwe passes on the responsibility of training the dragon warrior to Master Shifu. So we, we love this concept of the passing of the baton. And it certainly is going on here with, uh, with Paul passing the baton on to Timothy. But I want to make sure that you guys understand this isn't just a couple of pastors 
passing batons on to other pastors. Like, we see that, that Jesus passed this baton, the baton on to his disciples. They passed on to the early church leaders. It is a baton that we are still passing to each other today. And so, make these words personal a little bit as we hear them. Um, but again, he says this, and I think it is one of the most reassuring things and mindset shifts that he gives to Timothy. He says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So before he talks about, hey, Timothy, give it your best, he says, guess what? Your best comes from Jesus anyway. It's the reality. You look at those other things, competition, achievement, perfectionism. Who do those all rely on? Me being good enough. Me having the, ta the talent. Me having the ability. Me having the words to say. Me being the one who is the source of whatever award or, or thing that I get. But the thing that he reminds Timothy right off the bat is he goes, I'm not asking you to move ahead in your own strength. I'm not asking you to be a good enough leader. I'm not asking you to go work on your, your brush up on your communication skills because you're going to be the guy now. He says, very first from the beginning, be strong in the, grace, uh, in, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And that's a great reminder for us today as we ask this question of what does it mean to give God our best. And so he, he has this kind of mindset shift or, or, or thing that he throws out there. And then it's all laying the groundwork for this kind of threefold illustration that he gives of the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. And we're going to take a look at those uh, here today. But 2 Timothy three, uh, uh, 2, 3 through 4 continues on. It says this, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs but rather tries to please his commanding officer. And we look at that. And I'll say it, it, it made me think of folks that I know in the military. I've got some family there in the military. I've got friends that have been in the military. Does anyone here, just kind of raise your hand if you know or are in contact with somebody who has been in the military, been a soldier, anything like that? Yes? Okay. And so as I thought about this, I'm like, okay, well, we've got Paul here. And he's giving this very intentional illustration of a soldier. It's very purposeful. Again, these are his last words to Timothy. Well, why does he choose a soldier? And it made me think, you know, what best characterizes the life of a soldier? And the word that kept coming to my mind was this word of sacrifice. You know, when, when we ask about what it means to give our best to God, we have to have this question of what are we willing to sacrifice? And, and I'll tell you, a soldier, he sacrifices, she sacrifices a whole lot. Think about all the different things that you have to sacrifice to be in the military. You know, I, I have a cousin who was in the military, had a lot of really big aspira or aspirations, was a great musician, but he just felt this call to lay those things aside, at least for a time, to go where somebody else told him to go, to do a job that somebody else told him to do, to take orders that somebody else gave. He laid that down in order to pursue uh, this, this career in the military. Um, and he saw this as this great opportunity to serve his country above himself. And so I don't believe that, that Paul just kind of loosely gives this, this example of the soldier. He's trying to teach us something here today as well. And so I want to focus on verse 4 now because I think it kind of gives us some insight into that. He says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. So it's the realization that, you know what, we can get kind of caught up in civilian affairs. What I mean by that is caught up in our own dreams, 
and goals and the things that we believe are our purposes for our life. I'll tell you what, um, I brought this up a little bit intentionally today. This is a Moleskine notebook. This is the finest notebook made in the world, just by the way. Um, definite uh, thing for that. But I have, I, I've got to say like 30 to 40 of these laying around at my house um, from like the last 10 years. And the reason being is because, one, um, I need an external brain. I believe I'm probably a little bit ADHD. So I have to actually write down every task that I've got to do every day and just tick them off. But the other thing that I do is I love to write down plans. I'm a planner. Do we have any planners in here? My, my gosh, if you're a planner, you've got a plan for the next week, the next month, the next year, the next five years, the next ten years, all the way down to retirement. I'm that kind of guy. And I have notebooks filled of the things that I would love to do. Like, uh, the things I'd love to achieve as a coach, the things that I'd love to achieve in ministry, things I'd love to achieve in, you know, insert, you know, whatever in that statement. But the question I had for myself as I was reading that, this idea of sacrificing our desires to pursue God's de desires for our life, I'm like, if he came here, God came here today and said, Ryan, this is great stuff, but this isn't what I have for your life. How would I respond? And so... That's something I'll challenge you to today. And a couple questions I'll ask is, you know, are, are there dreams and goals in your life that maybe are taking you away from a life of ministry? Real quick, I want to let you know that we're all called to a life of ministry. You know, pastors, are, are they're, they're called to a life of vocational ministry. That's the thing that we would, we would say. But every single one of us is called to a life of ministry. Are our dreams and goals and ideas about direction for our life taking us away from the ability to do that. You know, another one, this is a tough one, because we like to pack our schedule. You know, is my schedule designed to allow time to share the gospel with others? So I, I receive this as, and this is something I needed, because I'm really bad at this. I pack every moment of my schedule and my time and my day. But I had someone tell me once, building margin into life is one of the most spiritual things that you can do. And I've experienced that because it's allowed me, and again, I'm not good at that. I'm not saying this as a, holier than thou, I'm actually saying I am the chief sinner in this. But I've seen the times where God has called me to build margin into my life. And I've seen where needs have come up, or a person has needed to have a conversation, or I've needed to go have a conversation. And having that margin in life has enabled me to go and, and be obedient to God, and whatever that might be. And ultimately, are my pursuits focused on my ends, or God's purpose, for my life, because as Paul says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Are we willing to sacrifice of our hopes and dreams to pursue what God has for us? And so this is the way that he begins with Timothy, but he's still got some more lessons to share. So we're going to go on, 2 Timothy 2.5, he begins now with this illustration of the athlete, which obviously as a coach, as someone involved in youth sports, I'm excited about. But we'll go ahead and read it. It says, similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Now we see this obviously competing according to the rules, this idea of living our life or having a lifestyle of following God. But I, I want to focus on a particular phrase or word here that Paul talks about, and it is a pretty common theme for him. He, said, he talks about the victor's crown, all right? And he says, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Now this is not the only place that he mentions this crown. 
We see it again in 2 Timothy 4.8. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. He says it again in 1 Corinthians 24, 25. Uh, if you're around athletics, we hear this verse all the time. Uh, but do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Now here's the reality. Um, because we talk about giving God our best, there has to be a caveat right at the beginning. Is that the greatest achievement, and you're like, oh gosh, we shouldn't be talking about achievements. We just said not to, but bear with me. The greatest achievement was something that we could never have done. You know, we realize that we don't live this life to try to earn salvation. We serve a God who has already granted that. We know that by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, and he was the only one who could do it, that he now freely gives us this opportunity to receive salvation, that by grace, through faith in him, that has already been done. We don't have to do anything for that. So what then is this crown that he's talking about? Well, it's a realization that running for this crown is about pursuing a life of love and obedience to God, which here's the big one, which includes his call to share the gospel with others. It's an awesome fact that we know that we're going to spend eternity with Jesus. But that's not something to just cover up and wait for it to happen. That's something that we're called to go outside these walls and share with our community around us. I want you to think about this because the second thing we've, we said, you know, hey, if I'm going to give my God my best, I've got to ask, what am I willing to sacrifice? Number two is, if I'm going to give God my best, I've got to ask, what am I striving for? What's the target? And I want to tell you this, we've talked a lot about this, this building project that we have, this big God-sized vision. That, that he has just laid in front of us uh, uh, this vision for a, a bigger church and a gym and all these kind of things. Did you know that's not what we're striving for? That's not our goal. It's a great thing and there's a reason for it. But I want you to understand the reason we want a bigger building is so that we can fit more folks in here on a Sunday morning. But not even on just a Sunday morning. We want them in here on a Monday and a Tuesday, and a Wednesday, and a Thursday, and a Friday, and a Saturday. Because those are going to open up opportunities for some programs we have now, some ministries we have now, like sports ministry, but some that are not even decided upon. But those aren't our goal either. Those programs, those ministries, those are simply opportunities to get face-to-face -face with folks from our community who maybe have no idea who Jesus is. They may know his name. They may have heard of him before, but they have no idea of what it means to have a personal relationship with him. And that's our opportunity to share the gospel. That's what we're striving for. And so it's awesome. And I, I hope we can take that in is that at the beginning of this capital campaign, this excitement that we have that, that you know, we're looking at having this expansion to our property. That the very core of that is the goal of sharing the gospel with Mount Vernon, with the Knox County area, with central Ohio and beyond. That's what we're striving for. But as we talk about this idea of giving God our best, we're going to continue 
because there's another element of this, uh, because there's preparation that we can do now. Uh, and as we see in 2 Timothy 2.6, you know, Paul has used this example of the soldier. Then he's used this example of the athlete. Now he takes it and uses this example of the farmer. And we're going to read it. It says this, the hardworking farmer should be the first to rece- receive a share of the crops. The hardworking farmer. What does that look like? Farmers are hardworking folks. Do we have any farmers in the room? Or maybe those of you who grew up on a farm, around a farm, that must have been all the first service folks. Hey, that makes sense. You've got to get up early on a farm. So, hey. Uh, but, you know, so it's a hard job, right? It involves a lot. Now, farming is very particular from other jobs in this sense. You know, I, I'm a, I don't know that I'm a procrastinator, but I'm the kind of guy, like, if you give me a project a month out, I'm going to wait three weeks, and then the week of, I'm going to just hardcore, you know, spend a bunch of time on that project, okay? Uh, and maybe you can relate to that. You know, it's like, hey, you know, I'm supposed to have this PowerPoint. PowerPoint's not the cool thing anymore. Whatever it is, Prezi, I, I'm not up with that. Um, but anyway, i got to have this presentation ready. But you know what? Week before, I'm just going to put in a bunch of hours. I'm going to work some overtime. I'm going to go in early, stay late, and I'm going to get this all done so I can have a great presentation, all that kind of good stuff. You can't do that when it comes to farming. It's not like you could say, oh, the harvest is supposed to happen in another month. Well, I guess I just go out there, I'll throw a bunch of seeds down more than usual, and I'll dump a lot more water than usual, and I'll go and put like whole bag of miracle Grow every square foot, and you know, in a couple weeks I'm going to have the same harvest that every other farmer is going to have. That's not how it works. Farmer people say no, that's not how it works. That is a year-long process, sometimes a years-long process of preparing the soil, planting the seed cultivating the seed, watering, and I'm sorry, I I don't know all the farming terminology, but there's a lot of stuff that happens between that all the way up to actually reaping the harvest. Well, here's the deal. We've been challenged through this series to have a daring faith. What does it mean to have a daring faith? What does that look like to have this big faith? But the reality is that God cultivates that kind of daring faith in these everyday moments of faith that we experience all the time. It's not something that should just be like, hey, I go from no faith to now I have this big faith out of nowhere. It's got to be cultivated. So question number three is, what are you sowing in your life? And here's what I mean by that. You know, it was a little bit, a little little bit moment of faith, I guess, to get out of bed this morning and to be here today. I mean, gosh, it's it's rainy outside. It's finally looking like actual cold fall weather. It could have been real easy to hit that snooze button, roll back over, and hey, we'll go next week when the weather's nicer. It's going to be worse next week. But it was a moment of faith to roll out of bed and get here this morning. It's a moment of faith, an everyday kind of faith. When we come in and we know we're supposed to, to tithe and to give and to, 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 to do an offering. And it's like, well, you know what? Money's been tight this week. It's been tight this month. Maybe it's been tight this year. Maybe I can skip it this time. And it's an everyday moment of faith to say, no, this is something that I am giving to God. And I'm going to trust Him with whatever financial situation I'm in. There are so many different opportunities to have everyday faith. It could be in relationships with people. Maybe you have somebody at work that quite honestly, like they're a friend of yours, you know them, you, you've had a relationship in the past, but maybe they've not been a great friend recently. Maybe they've been somebody you've been 
actually kind of trying to avoid. But God is calling you to say, hey, you need to go have an interaction with that person. You need to go have a conversation. And instead of saying, you know what, I don't want to deal with that. That's drama. I don't, I don't have to do that. I can go hang out with these people. You say, you know what, I'm going to be obedient to God and what he's calling me to do in that particular relationship. And these might seem really trivial. You're like, why are we talking about coworkers and relationships and, and these money things? The reality is that I believe God is cultivating a daring faith in those small moments of faith that we encounter every single day that you're going to encounter this afternoon, tomorrow, this week, all the way leading up. And why is this all important? Well, you know, like I said, we were going to do the introduction, the three points, and then talk about this challenge that Paul leaves Timothy with, and it's in verse 7. It's simple, but I think it's important. It says this, reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. In a second, we're going to ask God to give us insight, maybe into our own personal lives, but just as we ask this question of what does it mean to give God our best, from the very get-go, right off the bat, understand we're not enough. And that's okay. You know, we don't buy into this worldly kind of version of giving our best where it's all about competing with the person next to you. It's all about, you know, getting the next award or achievement. It's all about, you know, this profession, perfectionistic kind of attitude of, you know, I'm never going to be, and I just got to keep getting better and better and better. The reality is that we don't move forward with our own talents, with our own, you know, skills and effort and all that kind of stuff, that we realize that Christ's strength is sufficient. And as we do that, we can ask this question of, what am I willing to sacrifice? What am I going to sacrifice of my own hopes and dreams and desires to pursue God's direction for my life? We've got to ask that question of what are we striving for? What's the target here? Is the target for me a certain number in my bank account? Is the target for me a certain house or car or situation? Is the target for me to have this, you know, picture-perfect, beautiful view of a family that I can, you know, brag about to my friends? Or is the target something much more meaningful, much bigger, much bigger than a building that we're hoping to build? Is it the excitement to go out and know, like, there are folks out there who have no idea who Jesus is, and God is calling you to go and share and tell them. And the last thing is, you know, what are we sowing in our life? Are we taking full advantage of those everyday moments of faith that are going to build in us a daring faith? And so, like I said, we are going to ask God for some insight here. So here's how we're going to pray today. I want you to think about this. And you can think as I'm talking, then we're going to end in a time of prayer. But, but I want you to challenge yourself. Challenge yourself. We're not going to raise hands or do any of that stuff. This is just as you and God right now. But I want, to ask, I want you to ask yourself, what's an area of your life where maybe, maybe you've been stri striving for the wrong thing? Maybe the target hasn't been the right one. Maybe instead of that, maybe it's an area of your life where you've just been unwilling to sacrifice that goal or that dream, that direction that you wanted to pursue. And maybe you heard me tell the whole thing about the, the book and tossing that out and that made you real nervous. Well, maybe that's an area that God's showing you, hey, I'm asking you to surrender that over to me. Or maybe it's just as simple as you've, you've noticed that you're not really sowing a life of everyday faith. But whatever it is, I want you to think about that right now. 
Where's God calling us to give him our best? So let's go ahead and I just ask you to bow your heads and we'll pray to end our time. Lord, we just thank you for, uh, we, we thank you for teaching us this morning. I, I thank you for teaching me this week. God, every time we, we, we approach your word and, and, and scripture, God, it just, it teaches us a new thing. Uh, maybe it brings something up in our own life that, that we need to work on. But, but God, we just, we reflect on this idea, this concept of giving you our best. What does that mean? Well, first off, God, thank you that you don't ask us to do it on our own. Because we're not enough. We're not enough without you, God. And so I just, I, I just pray that, all, I just look out and I see these folks in here that you would just, I, I know it's the truth, but God, help them to feel that, that, Lord, they don't need to move ahead in their own strength, but Lord, we move ahead in your strength. And God, I just ask that, I, I know each person here, a different thing came to mind when it talked about giving you their best, but God, I just, I just ask that, uh, Lord, you would show and reveal, and maybe provide some insight on in an area where maybe we're not sacrificing of ourselves. Maybe we're not striving for the right goal. Maybe we're not sowing uh, an everyday kind of faith in our life. And God, I just ask that you would, in those moments, give us perseverance, give us strength, give us courage, give us uh, focus to pursue the things that you are about in this world. God, we're so excited for this era you're calling us into as a church. This, this again, God-sized vision. We love it because we know that if it happens, only you could have achieved it, God. And as we do, we know that a daring faith is not something you're calling us to just for tomorrow or down the road, but God, that you want us to win us every single day. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We ask all these things in your name. Let's stand and continue to sing today. Can't go back to the beginning. Can't control what tomorrow will bring. But I know here in the middle is a place where you promise to be not enough unless you come will you meet me here again cause all I want is all you
Church, you can have a seat. My name is Ryan Wolf. I'm our teen life pastor here overseeing ministry for all of our middle schoolers and high schoolers. And how good is it to worship in the house of the Lord this morning? If you are new here, if you have just uh, recently started connecting with us, welcome. It's so, so good to have you. Thank you for taking time out of your Sunday morning to be with us. If you have a second after service, we would love a chance to get to just meet you to hear a little bit about your story and get you connected with what's going on here at New Life. So come find me, come find Pastor Troy or Ryan Farr out in the lobby after the service so that we can connect with you. And if you would, uh, take out the welcome card and see back in front of you. Take a few seconds to fill that out. You can take that to the welcome desk in the lobby and we'll exchange that for a free gift as a tangible way to say thank you for being with us. 
kind of along those same lines, if you've started connecting with New Life recently in the past couple of months, we have our next Connect Lunch coming up on Sunday, November 5th, uh, directly following the third service, so around 12.30 p.m. down in the Teen Life Auditorium. This is going to be a free lunch uh, and a great way for you and your family to uh, come meet some of our church staff, hear about uh, our values and um, our mission statement, and uh, get a chance to just meet some fun people and hang out and have a lunch together. Child care will be provided for that morning. Uh, so if you would, head out to, to a kiosk in the lobby, sign up there or online at newlifenaz.net. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing you on Sunday, November 5th. Well, we are so thankful for the work that God has done, the work that he is doing, the work that he will continue to do through our Daring Faith series where we are intentionally posturing ourselves to, to trust in God's promises, to trust in his faithfulness, and to trust in his will for us as a church. How good is it to be together as one family, as one church, as one body, worshiping our one true God last week at our one service at Emmanuel Chapel. It was a fantastic time to be together, to worship God together, to have our kids in service with us, leading us in worship. How great was that? And on behalf of our, our church family, we want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for your continued generosity and your giving of your tithes and offerings to make opportunities like last Sunday happen. And here's what I want to say. Your giving is making an eternal difference. You are making an eternal difference in the lives of people uh, here in Knox County and all around the world through your generosity. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And we are so expectant of the ways in which God's going to continue to move through our Daring Faith series. Well, uh, we have some exciting and unique uh, discipleship opportunities coming up through our Daring Faith series. And one of those is our 48 Hours of Prayer. Where we're covering November 3rd and November 4th completely in prayer. And you may be wondering, how can you participate? Well, you can participate by signing up for a 30-minute time slot to pray. To pray inwardly that God will continue to stretch you and help you grow and instill in you a daring faith. And then move to an outward prayer that uh, where you pray for our city and for our community and for the work that God uh, has given us to do here in Knox County and all around the world. Now, I know uh, a 30-minute time slot to pray may sound a little bit intimidating. You don't have to sign up. You don't have to pray for all 30 minutes. But we've created a companion guide for you to help guide you throughout uh, your time as you pray for that. So, um, and to where you can really just make yourself available to the Holy Spirit and the work that He would like to do in and through you. So you can go out to a kiosk in the lobby or online, newlifenaz.net, to sign up for a 30-minute time slot for our 48 hours of prayer. Well, church, we are not enough unless He comes. Amen. And the Lord is in this place. But just because I dismiss you from here, just because you close your Bibles, or just because you say amen does not mean uh, that the Father's presence leaves you. As, as Jesus was talking to his disciples, as recorded in John chapter 14, he talks about how he will be going away, but that the Father will send the advocate, meaning another one like Jesus, to be with us forever. So as you go through your week, as you go through each day, as you go through each moment this week, know that the Lord's presence is with you and that he will guide you.